Welcome to the Assembly of Silence Radio Hour. This audio program has been carefully packed to the legal limit with a weekly allowance of non-governmentally approved deep thoughts per square minute of podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Judah and Noah. Kitty, what's our next topic? Petting me is what she's saying. Me on your lap. That's my next topic. Come here, kitty cat. She loves to be on my lap, man. It's like her spot. I guess we could talk about cute pet tricks. <laughs> she doesn't have any. <laughs> she is not a I pet. Admit, I do like cat. watching. I like watching the uh, the little clips of animals. Oh yeah. Like I am on a couple of uh, Twitter feeds that will send you like. <laughs> there was one that was amazing. It's an octopus that has that's traveling along the ocean floor with a coconut and when it realizes that there's someone nearby it takes the coconut shell and wraps itself inside of it and folds itself up into the coconut shell isn't that amazing it's freaking amazing octopus man they are just octopi they are i wonder how often they use the coconut shell like is that a common trick for an octopus or is it just a a fluke but it sure knew what it was doing they're apparently highly intelligent Mm mm-hmm yeah they can do some incredible things. Have you right. seen them go through like a tiny little aperture and their whole body can just kind of amazing. Mind blowing. Yeah. Or how they can just, they can totally fade into the um, their surroundings. Mm-hmm. Totally disappear. Yep. Like the cuttlefish too. They're also yeah. able to change their color and blend into backgrounds. And it's, it's amazing what consciousness can do <laughs> in different circumstances. Right. Right. You know, that, I, and I think that that's a uh, spiritual potential, mm. you know, that mm. if we're going to talk about what the spirit is doing in the material, it's basically the capacity to realize a variety of different behavioral options and to execute them, you know, even though it's not necessarily going to work out the way it's envisioned. I think that's something that also is kind of part of the plan. Like there's kind of a spiritual insight and the moment that it occurs, it's kind of gone and you have this residue of it mm. and mm-hmm. it gives you, that's basically the, the Hegelian abstract. Oh, okay. You know? uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then you kind of, the rubber hits the road and you start to operate in reality and you have the negation of whatever it is you derive from that inspiration experience, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And fundamentally, it's that relationship with the spirit and material. It's that dialogue electrical relationship between spirit and material that produces the concrete. Mm. So Mm. it's that byproduct. And that's why it's never purely a spiritual result. There may be a spiritual uh, impulse, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's always something that it's almost like it's a, it's the, the material world is like a nerve cell that occasionally gets stimulated. Yes. And that stimulation mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the spirit playing itself out into the material. Mm-hmm. And it kind of has this like I always think of fireworks for some reason. It's like it has a brilliant moment and then there's like little trailing bits that last for a little while. Right. You know, and then right. it kind of settles down and you're kind of like, well, when's the next one going to occur? <laughs> 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 yeah, that's pretty much how impulses work, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a pretty decent model to to think about what we're in. 
Mm. We're spiritually inspired, materially experiencing beings. Yeah, I, I think I can I can, I can uh, jive with that, right? We are definitely spiritual beings first and foremost, right? There's that bumper sticker. Was it? Uh, we're spiritual beings having a human experience, right? And, you know. Yeah, and so that's an you know because the octopus is a spiritual being having an octopus experience, right? You know, and right. your kitty cat is having <laughs> the classic, having quite like, the experience. give me the attention experience of the kitty. Yeah. How come you guys are talking into these inert phallic objects when I'm sitting here, you're not close enough for us to pet. That's right. And That's thank right. God, because then you would be even more prominent in the mix. That's right. <laughs> so you have the spiritual illumination moment like mm. inspiration yeah. we'd say but there's still like a, a like a pilot light mm. as long as you're alive there's like spirit hovering in the background yeah. always with that potential to leap forward again mm. right steiner calls inspiration spiritual hearing yes so that would be receiving the holy spirit mm. right mm-hmm. and that, and and from the um, from the Christian Trinity point of view, uh, the Son of Man is the one who's able to listen to the Father through the agency of the of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So that would be opening yourself to. Right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. An imagination is spiritual seeing. Well, it depends, I think, on whether it's the imagination of the ego or the imagination of the I. The I. Yeah. So the imagination of the I would be spiritual seeing. That would be a prenatal mm-hmm. type of um, experiential phenomena. Mm-hmm. But, of course, there is imagination within the ego as well. Mm-hmm. And that would be sort of projection, you know. Could we call it imagination or would it be more delusion? That's a good point. Yeah, I guess you, you, you could call that delusion. So you could say that, now, is that across the board? Is it possible to have, hmm, boy, that's, that's a good one. Yeah, that, that one, I have to uh, reflect on. It. I'm not <laughs> going to t- give you a reflex <laughs> response to that one. <laughs> Turn that thing over a few times before you pick it up. <laughs> Take it home, okay? <laughs> uh. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I, I I think that makes a lot of sense. Because I don't think the ego really the the ego really is receiving much from the spirit. I would have to say. I think it's more plugged into the sense worlds and um, and and desires and uh, wants. So it, it's yeah. like what we were speaking about before, where. The information that we actually have about events that have occurred is very limited. We mm. have limited ranges within our sensory apparatus. Mm. We have mm-hmm. only a small sliver of time and space mm-hmm. from which to observe the events that have occurred. Right. So we're always, from the individuated point of view, getting a very incomplete picture. Right. Our senses are really if we work with them, can be very fine-tuned scientific instruments for us to understand the external world around us, yet they're not 
fine-tuned for the spiritual world. We have to develop spiritual sense-perceptive organs, so to speak. Well, it's that, I think, is another area where we have a lot of, hmm, I'm not going to say disagreement, but um, there's a lot to cl- try to clarify because from one point of view, the relinquishing of the self, the individuated self, is the process whereby one is gaining access to the spiritual domain. And so whatever uh, ideation occurs within the self is always going to be a kind of delusion. You know, so in meditation practice, a lot of people will talk about how there will be moments in meditation where it seems like something extraordinary is happening. And if you latch on to those moments and go, wow, that was freaking awesome, you're departing from the from the project you're you're losing your connection the whole point of the meditation and so the basis of it is not knowing and emptiness mm-hmm. right and that's why i'm always suspicious of anyone who's going to tell me exactly what the hierarchy of the angels is or anything like that you know to me it's that's god's domain you know we don't freaking know mm. so but i also recognize that Senses operate not only externally to navigate the terrain of the material relationships, but also internally, and not just internally to the body, mm-hmm. but internally to the mind. We have right. sense perception that occurs within you know, the psyche and then beyond that within the container of consciousness. What we might actually come to understand spending more and more time in that place, I see there's potential for things to be revealed. But I am, you know, perhaps because I haven't had enough clarity from those practices myself, I place all of that into the I don't know category because I don't. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you don't have, yeah, you don't have the direct knowing experience. Don't have the direct knowing, Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and I've read about people deriving things, but I also feel like a lot of that is what leads people down a a delusional path. And, you know, you might say that, well, okay, for the individual who under, who went through that experience, that may have been authentic and they may have derived a variety of things, but it may not be the kind of thing that can really be transmitted to another. Mm -hmm. That's why another one of the interesting uh, traditions is that we all have our personal relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like when we try to share whatever that is, it gets all whacked out. You yeah. know, it doesn't quite work. So, yeah. so we're in a, a strange situation when it comes to that. Like one of the things I'm always appreciative of and one of the reasons why I'm interested in continuing to do this project and to do the various things that I'm doing to express whatever process I'm going through is because I don't know what my life would be like if I'd never been exposed to the people who have done this kind of work. You know, I I have a hard time imagining that these things, which I find to be so valuable and interesting and important, I don't know that it ever would have occurred to me. Like if I had never run across Alan Watts, Mm. at some point or another, I heard one of his talks and was just like, wow. You know, and that's happened on a number of different levels, on a number of different directions over the course of my life. So to me, it feels like if you have something along these lines that you feel is worth saying, you may as well offer it because it may change resonate. Life. It may change a life. You yeah, know, absolutely. And it also helps you to uh, clarify what your own understanding is. 
but it is a slippery slope, you know? And particularly, I think, for those who are making a living doing this type of thing. Right. It's very tricky. Yeah. Well, you, <clears throat> anytime you put something out there, you're putting your opinion out there, right? And there's a tendency to want to, you know, if you believe something, that's what you have to believe. And I think part of putting information out there, like what we do, is also, uh, I think the counterbalance to that is to be able to not be married to it. Right. Right. To like, okay, this is this is what my understanding of this is up until this point in my life at this moment right now. And I'm sharing this and you know what? It might change like other information or life experience might stream into my, uh, you know, into my life and I get to revisit what I believe. So you could say that basically instead of thinking of, you could say spiritual and philosophical inquiry as a body of work or as a kind of end in and of itself, what it really is more than anything is an aperture to the potential for spiritual inspiration. So like a vehicle that might allow for spiritual inspiration to occur and to refresh the material world more regularly so that we don't end up in hell. Yeah. You know, that's kind of, I think, the fundamental goal. Which I think hell hell for me would be that hardened or crystallized percept-concept dynamic. So I I like to call it the percept-concept dynamic, meaning that that my perceptions of something are what informs my concepts of something. So let's just take the idea of a tree. So I look at a tree and I have, I can perceive the tree. It's got a trunk and branches and leaves and, you know, and that's a tree, right? Uh, and that, 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 that what I see of the tree becomes my concept of the tree. But let's say I start to study the tree a little more and I watch it through the seasonal cycles. Um, maybe I start to do some research into like what happens when sunlight hits the leaves and, you know, makes chlorophyll or, you know, and, and then there's the taking in of carbon dioxide and the output of oxygen, or then you get into the root system and you see the mycorrhizome and you start to see. And the, and the fact that the trees will take care of their own saplings. Right, exactly. Which is a super interesting. So as I begin uh, to deepen my perception of the tree, my concept of the tree gets bigger and bigger. It gets more informed, right? And so the, and the more I perceive, the more I conceive, so to speak. And mm. the danger, and I think we see a lot of this today, uh, is that people have created a concept of something and then they marry that concept and there's no other, that's it. They've, they're, they're done. They've hardened and crystallized that concept and they won't revisit it. They won't re-perceive or won't increase their perception of what it is they're working with. So that's like so, the spirit is basically just operating on pilot light level. Yeah. There's you no, know, there's no inspiration. in the background. Yeah. And, and that, I guess, would be like the Hegelian concrete. Yeah. It's kind of stuck sure. at concrete mode and the dialectic is no longer really uh, allowed. Right. Yeah. There's no relationship 
there's no relationship. And the, it's like the longer that it goes in that kind of a mode, in a concrete mode, the more jarring the changes will be when they come. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the longer you go in that concrete mode, the harder and harder it gets to change, right? Right. Because right? Cause it's more uncomfortable. Yeah. And you double down. A lot of times people double down on what they believe, right? So when, I, when I'm perceiving a tree or a plant or a person or whatever it is I'm interacting with at the time, that's a relationship. I'm, right. I'm building a relationship and it has something to tell me of itself that I don't know about. So I have to have that kind of that moment of silence, that moment of to receive inspiration from that thing so that I can see it for what it wants me to see. So this for. returns us to the strangers meeting where you yes. sit and you're quiet and yes. you listen to each other. Mm-hmm. And it's not just fellow humans, it's any sentient being which could well just be any phenomena that you come into contact with. I think that there's mm-hmm. consciousness inherent in every particle of this universe. So that potential is always there if we're just yeah. willing to listen. Absolutely. And there's memory there. Like so when, what does that mean? I mean that when I go and I have an interaction with a plant, say I go and I sit with a plant and I just – just observe it you know, um, with my senses. Maybe I taste it, maybe I touch it, smell it, sit with it, have it start to strike up that relationship with it. It, I have a feeling, remembers me. Huh. It, it, it picks up on that. Um, and so, like, I, I just experienced this when I, when I take hikes. I, I have a few special places that I like to go to. So I hike these trails frequently. And there are just certain trees, certain locations. You're, yeah, you're ringing over there. I thought it was you. I was <laughs> looking at you like, man, you're just maintaining composure in the face of technology. <laughs> I, I, mine's on vibrate. <laughs> How do I do that? <laughs> I don't know if you could do it with that thing. I don't know. I tried doing it the other day. It didn't work. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to work that thing. <laughs> I guess I don't either. Well, it definitely. Okay, so what were we talking so, about? So, so meaning that, so I have certain places that I go to and I hike frequently. <clears throat> right. And there's certain trees or there's certain spots that I go, that I, I stop at along the way. And every time I do, there's just a deeper feeling of connection. Hmm. And I have to imagine, since what you just said is that every atom has some sort of degree of consciousness, awareness hmm. in it, that there's a memory in that. Like, like, right. oh, here's that guy with that heart field resonance coming. Uh, you know, here's Judah, and uh, hmm. he he always likes to hang out here, and his energy is, you know, what it is. And and then I go on my way. But there's a rapport, there's a relationship that's built there, right? You know, yeah. I mean, we know that scientifically. I mean, this this is what heart math is all about. Is that you know, our heart is putting out uh, an eight to fifteen foot electromagnetic field. Right, so it's this torus field of, of of electromagnetism generating out of the heart, uh, like we're in it like a bubble, right? Mm. And all of life is beaming frequency, right? And our heart is the first thing to pick up the frequency of other living beings, and our heart field is the first thing other living beings are picking up hmm. from so us. The heart is the. Most powerful electromagnetic generator in the body. Yes. 5,000 times more electromagnetic activity than the brain. Huh. So it's like the sun of the body. Absolutely. 
And that's what so it's... So it has solar plexus, mm. Mm. which is pretty much the, the region that mm. we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the, the heart is the sun of the inner cosmos, right? It is the organ that's the inner sun. So if we were to look at it from an alchemical standpoint or from an uh, you know, a, uh, anthroposophical standpoint, the, the heart is the sun um, organ. Uh, the the um, liver and gallbladder are like Mercury and Mars, right? So there's these, each planet has a particular organ that it's associated with. The, the outer liver is Mercury? Mercury and, and, or Mars, and then the gallbladder... Gallblad- liver gallbladder is Mars, I believe, t- together. Don't quote me on any of this. Okay. I'm talking Screw out. Screw that. Ass. But the heart is the sun. <laughs> it's like that is the, the planet that the heart is connected to, is the sun. Well, in Chinese medicine, they refer to the heart as the emperor. Mm. Wow. Um, yeah. Which is like the sun of the kingdom. It's like the light of the nation. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. The, true, the true king is the one that cares for for all of their people, like they're his children. He's the one that, the king is the one that makes sure that everyone is cared for, that everyone has the life that they need. And what does he, the sun give? Life, the warmth. The, the true king, the emperor owns it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's also the case that the heart in Chinese medicine is fire element. Mm. So there you have your, your brilliance, right? Mm-hmm. In the trigrams, fire is called... Uh, the clinging fire, and another word that's associated with it is brightness. Oh, so wow, it has beautiful. to do with the the burning, the sun, the radiating warmth. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, and that's you know that's another great word right there, warmth, because the heart. the heart is the organ of warmth. Everyone knows body. it. Yeah, that's that. You can't argue that, right? So it is the organ of warmth in the body. Mm-hmm. The blood is an organ of warmth in the body, also, and the. Blood. Organ. I mean, it's, it's a, a carrier. In, 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 well, in, in the anthroposophy, they tend to think of blood as an organ, but I, I, I'm with you. It's the carrier of warmth because it's actually the mediator between peripheral and core uh, heat. Right. So, and that also is kind of a toroidal type of thing, where you have this exchange between the center and the periphery. Absolutely. Every, you know, the blood flows from the periphery to the center, then back from the center to the periphery. Right. The liver even has just like that an action. electromagnetic. Uh, uh, that would be the magnetic side, I guess, mm-hmm. right? And 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 uh, blood flows through the arteries in a spiral nature, um, with each different aspect of the blood being having a different weight to it, like the plasma and the white blood cells and the red blood cells and other things. But the blood flows through the arteries in a in a spiral. It always goes in the same spiral direction. Yeah, is it the same spiral direction as the water goes down the drain? That I don't know. I don't. All right, know. We got to find out. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> well, the other thing that's interesting is that blood is fire water, mm. right? Mm. I mean, it's literally oxygenated, right? Water. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. There's water in it, and the water in the blood is structured water. Right. It's structured because of the way that it flows through the heart. The heart it flows through the heart in a lemniscate pattern, but which, isn't it also? It's like a it's carrying extra oxygen. You could say. Well, the, the blood's purpose is to carry oxygen. That's, right. That's hemoglobin, right? So, yep. So the blood, yeah. The, I think you and I have talked about this in the past. That the blood, when when red blood cells are maturing, they have DNA. But once they hit their full state of maturity, they cleave the DNA off, 
that DNA gets gobbled up by white blood cells, but they cleave off the DNA so they can make as much space as possible within the red blood cell for hemoglobin huh. to take in as much oxygen as possible. Do you think that the white blood cells think of the discarded DNA material as a pathogen? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if they. Th- well. I, well. Yeah. I think. I don't know if they see it as a pathogen, but they definitely see it as something that doesn't belong in the bloodstream. So basically, right? it's like so the it's, same thing that they would do to a pathogen yeah, that they, they do with the discarded DNA. Exactly. That's they, they clean it up, right? And so here, here we have the red blood cell, the red blood cell making as much space for oxygen as possible. Oxygen, spirit, inspire, inspiration, mm-hmm. inspiritu. Breath. God's breathed the spirit into Adam, right? right. Uh, I mean, we could go look at all the breathing practices uh, uh, that come out of, um, you know, the Vedas and, um, I mean, breath. Well, here, here's something fascinating breath, too. Like right? in, in the trigram system, this is a little bit difficult to visualize, but it's not too bad. In the trigram system, water is yin, yang, yin. So you have a yang solid line in the middle and uh-huh. broken yin lines on top and bottom, uh-huh. right? And uh-huh. water, of course, is H2O. Right. So you have one what? oxygen huh? and two, two, two hydrogens, hydrogens right. right? So what is fire? Well, fire is the opposite. It's yang, yin, yang, uh-huh. right? And it's basically uh, the best fuel is hydrogen, burns the cleanest, mm-hmm. right? And the atmosphere that has to be in is oxygen. Mm. There's your inversion. Wow. <laughs> I just got truth bumps. <laughs> you know what I love about the Assembly of Silence moments is that it doesn't matter what pitch the whistle is, it always sounds cool. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, we create those sounds. Real time. <laughs> Every uh, Assembly of Silence moment is its own unique thing. Never the same twice. Go back and listen to them all. <laughs> You'll see what we mean. <laughs> so fire and water is the primary alchemy within uh, the Taoist way of looking at things. Right. Life is basically right. a mixture of fire and water. Mm-hmm. And that... The natural tendency of fire and water is to be disharmonious because fire heat rises mm-hmm. and water descends. Right. So the natural tendency in the body is for water to go down and you get edema in the feet mm-hmm. and for the thought process to heat up the head. Right. 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 And so the whole concept <clears throat> in Taoist alchemy is to reverse those two, to send the thought down into the lower brain to empty the mind and fill the belly is Mm -hmm. the, it's the um, image that's used in the Taoist canon, kind of a technique. And what that does is it kind of bubbles the water. So the idea is that you take the fire, you put it down beneath the water and it creates the necessary action for the cauldron to become active. Right. Right. And then you get the uh, animating and invigorating Vapor, right? Mm. It permeates the the body or the spirit, depending the spi- on how you think of it. Yeah, I, and really I was going to say that's you're talking the spirit there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
So this is an interesting thing too. So in the same way that Marx materialized Hegel's Geist, uh, the, the kind of spiritual sense of what a dialectic was about, you could say that within Taoism you had the same type of thing where the microcosmic orbit, this, yes. this internal process, was turned into something where people would become immortals physically instead of what I think was really intended, which was you would have a Shen. The Shen was the ascendant master, the one who would overcome the the desire to to perpetuate life and to release themselves from the bondage of the physical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Stop now, the perpetuation of the birth death cycle. Exactly. And that's an interpretation, you know, but mm-hmm. both, both of those are interpretations. I think the pattern that we see in all the spiritual traditions, you can, you can say the same thing of Christ, that basically the church materialized the teachings of Christ, right? I would say <clears throat> the church was the ultimate materialist. Mm-hmm. That, you know, a lot of times people will blame science on materialism, but the reality is, is that the church is who materialized science. Look at how much land the Catholic Church owns. Right. So yeah. the church is the ultimate materialist, and they're the ones who, um, you know, they, they left the spirit behind. One of my teachers, Bala, says that when Jesus renamed Simon to Peter, Simon means he who listens, and Peter means like a rock. <laughs> and he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Right, right. right. He was saying, your name isn't really Simon because you're not really listening, mm-hmm. right? What you are is someone who's like a rock. Mm-hmm. You're impenetrable, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're exactly the kind of guy who's going to start my church. Yeah. And they're all going to be like you. Uh, <laughs> well, not all. Not I mean, all. Really- Sorry. That was my Leo coming in. just... <laughs> All, every, never, every extreme word I can use. Right. So, 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 but yeah, let's just say that, that it became an archetype. I find it to be extremely inspiring when you realize that even within the Catholic Church, there are those who are absolutely devoted and illuminated by the Spirit. Right. Right. Some of them have been fired by the church for but that. Some of them have been killed by the church. <laughs> yeah Hmm. you know what another 30 minutes just went by it's incredible I don't believe it it's amazing if this thing wasn't telling me I would never believe it but there it is it's a number and it keeps counting off and how could it be wrong my senses are not deceiving me (laughs) fine tune your senses and they shall not Goethe okay. said. Goethe said that our senses, uh, if if fine tuned, will make the human being one of the greatest spiritual or one of the greatest scientific instruments that exists. Boy, did we fuck that up, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's fascinating when you see what's going on in science right now. I don't well, know yeah, how much this, we've spoken about. This well, part. this is why I really have a call for the Goethean scientific method to to start making its way back into. Well, I don't think it was ever into popularity, but at least getting it into awareness because it's just so important right now because we're going to find that uh, technology is going to be rather limited when it comes to the nature of existence. 
you know, we're looking at that your consciousness affects the, the very experiment you're conducting. You can't have a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled study that is not influenced by the consciousness of the people who are conducting the study. Right. Right. So that's why uh, Goethe has a beautiful uh, article he wrote called Experiment as Mediator Between um, uh, Object and Subject. Hmm. Tell me more about that. He just talks about how basically the experiment is the, the mediation between what you're the person who's studying something and what is being studied that there is no that there's that when you start to study something you're entering into relationship with it well the thing and, is that you're using other conscious entities in the mediation mm-hmm. right so the schematic that i think of on the most elemental level is that we have a nervous system and the nervous system consists of cells each which have their own Consciousness, And so we have this very elaborate apparatus of essentially billions of cells that give us the senses that we have. They, they're delivering that, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. what we're really doing is we're interacting with that, arra- that collection of living beings whenever we're trying to perceive something. Mm-hmm. And they're just tuned to a certain set of, of uh, parameters that you know, they, they will operate within a range of comfort. And outside of that range, they're not going to give us much information. Mm. You know, it'll basically be pinned. It's like pain, you know, or numbness. Mm. When we're studying something, right, we have a whole set of things between us and that thing. So the mediation aspect of an experiment goes beyond just our own sensor, sensory capabilities, but whatever instrumentation we're using, you know, whatever other entities might be involved in that process. You know, if you're studying an ecosystem, it's an incredible number of living beings that are involved in this. And all of it is mediation, which means that there's a distancing with each mediating yeah. device from whatever it is that you're trying to probe. Right. Well, the, and, and, you know, and bringing in the ecosystem, the reality is, is that if you're studying something, you can't study something without its environment. Yes. You can't. It's impossible because that very thing you're studying is influenced by its environment. And the environment, likewise, is influenced by that very thing. It's not just influence. It's basically determined by it. Yes, When you think about the self, this is actually one of the things that Alan Watts said that really blew my mind back in the day. He said, if you think about an individual and you take that individual and you take it out of their environment, what is that individual? Is there any like self that exists separate mm. from its environment. Mm. Mm-hmm. We are products of our environment, and our environment is an aggregate phenomena from all of us who are participating in it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's basically mm-hmm. what the whole thing is made of. So, yeah, when this whole idea that we could study something in the lab, take a right. you know, it's like the Richard Avedon photographs of people who are just taken out of their natural surroundings and stuck in a white background. <laughs> and there's all this, like, detail, and it's like, you know, all kinds of different people from different backgrounds on the same white background. Mm-hmm. There's something brilliant about it, but it's brilliant pointing out just how screwed up our way of looking at things right. is. I was reading about a study uh, that was done up at, um, I think, University of Washington, and they were looking at um, uh, mice that they had bred to be, um, uh, to have like no microbiome, right? So these were bred uh, germ free mice. 
So they're like basically born with dysbiosis. Yeah, well, yeah, they just have. <laughs> it's, like, yeah, it's not even dysbiosis. It's, it's, it's just no biosis. A biosis. A biosis. Yeah. Right. Right. Wow. So germ-free mice. Right. And they were conducting a particular. I can't. I can't remember the nature of the study. Right. So then they had a. a, a I think it was Johns Hopkins, on the East Coast, do a repeat of the study. Right. Oh, this is a huge issue right now. Well, wait, wait here. This is great. So. So Johns Hopkins does the study, and they get totally different results. Right. And they're like, wait, well, wait a minute. Well, how is that even possible? They're germ-free mice, da-da-da-da. So what they, they start looking at, like, what variables could have come into play that would have influenced the study in a different way? What they discovered was that the microbiome of the individual who was handling the right. mice right. was different in both places, right? Of course. So the microbiome of the individual who was conducting the study influenced the study. Mm-hmm. Right? That sounds like quantum mechanics right there. Boom. So how are you like how do you rectify that in a, in our current scientific this, model? This leads right back to the whole thing of it's all hubris, you know? Yes. We don't no. Right. That's the bottom line. That's why I say there's no such thing as a randomized, double blind, placebo controlled study that doesn't exist. You can this current scientific model is not an effective model. We need is, a new model. This is happening throughout the sciences, the repeatability, and even in the social sciences. There's a crisis <laughs> going on right now where there are people who are actually studying the reproducibility of studies, and they're finding that quite often even the same team is unable to reproduce their results. Well, because they're new people every fields. day. They're new every day. They have new perceptions, new awarenesses, new concepts, new uh, bacterial information coming in, new mm -hmm. biomes. Like, I mean, you're just we're constantly becoming and it seems that <laughs> many of the things that we thought of as being solid like for instance one of the things right now is the question of whether or not the speed of light is actually a constant it's been assumed to be a constant but there's some evidence to suggest that it really isn't and if that's the case it really changes an awful lot it changes a huge um, I think basically it makes the idea of the expanding universe far less likely, or at least mm -hmm. there isn't the same type of supporting information for it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So once again, we're just in a situation where we have such limited scope in terms of our ability to really perceive what's going on and to make these kinds of assertions about what is actually happening and you know, how the universe operates and all that kind of stuff. It's just pure hubris and it's, it's a disaster. You know, we're really a, a humble species and we should get back to doing simple, humble stuff. But instead, we're building a rocket ship future. Right. And Elon Musk is going to take us out <laughs> into, you know... <laughs> Interstellar space, we're going to go into a wormhole and find some other planet to fuck up. Right. Another Earth, right? <laughs> For the love of God, you know, look at the problems we have here, and yet all we can do is look out to some other planet. You know? Well, you know, this is one of the big things is and that Jacques Ellul guy has a lot to say about this. He says basically, like, if you look at the real situation we're in, it leads to a pessimism that can only end in suicide. And that what the human psyche does is necessarily become optimistic so that we don't have to be truthful about the situation we're in. Mm. It's a super fucked up, profound uh, point 
that he makes about what we're dealing with. And he has a wonderfully good-natured way of of talking about it. I highly recommend that everyone take a look at I will put it in the show notes. Yeah, do. The Jacques Ellul documentary. I hope I remember to do that. Um, you know, something that comes to mind when you say that is, is for me, is also that creation stories have a lot to do with the meaning we find in life. Mm-hmm. Right? And our creation story, our Western scientific creation story, is about the most depressing. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like we were born out of some primordial soup randomly by accident with no divine uh, 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 um, intelligence whatsoever. Yeah, and that's just Earth. You're, right? right? And the universe was born from a unexplained random event that caused a big bang. Right. 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 And that everything after that is just sort of a mechanistic process whereby things. Yeah cooled off enough so that we would have these objects forming. And, and so we've removed the spirit from life and we look at everything as just material. So therefore it's just all resource and it has no meaning. Right. And it, it gives us, no it gives meaning. us an excuse to do whatever we want to. Exactly. And it's a horror show. Right. Exactly. I think I really do. I think our, our lack of cosmology is a huge part of what has brought us to this place with our hubris and destruction and depression. Well, I think that that you can, if you plug that whole picture into what uh, Jacques Ellul is saying, uh, you can see that the reasons why we came up with these other narratives was to avoid the um, the consequences of having to go back and admit our mistakes. Mm. And the consequences for doing so would be severe, you know, in terms of human cost and probably also in terms of biological cost in general. Like one of the things that I've realized is that if we really tried to unwind things right now and return to a more natural way of being, uh, we would probably unleash a kind of chain reaction of events that would cause more environmental destruction than is presently occurring. You know, we're, we're in a situation now where the needs are so great and the demands placed upon uh, the resources, which, you know, they're non-renewable, most of them. Yes. You know, there are some which are renewable, but we're kind of taxing them to the point where they're really not renewable anymore. And so, unfortunately, whenever a system is, is changed in a dramatic way, it creates a lot of chaos. And yeah. so making a really uh, a soft landing type of transition is very difficult to envision. Well, especially when we have pushed ourselves to the brink of it being a biological imperative for us to change. We're, yeah, that's right. Right? Yeah. Right? So, so the, it, you know what it, it, you know, it, it reminds me of is what we were just talking about a little bit ago is that uh, the longer you take to change, the more drastic the change in your life will be, right? Exactly. And so here we find ourselves as a species refusing to change. We have powerful people for, with financial means and for financial gains refusing to make changes on this planet. Well, the, the worst thing about and, it is that when people aggregate power, they get to live well while other people have been pushed into wars and right. other creatures. It's yeah. not just people. Oh, yeah, it's like the whole is, biosphere. Oh, yeah. 
and and so we're here we here we stand at this at this point where it's the the change i mean it's so big it's, it's so it's late so in the game. It's big been, and it's so late. We're past peak oil. I mean, we could go on and on of all the things, past peak oil, so on and so forth. Yeah. But we are Some people a, are claiming that's not the case, but I don't believe they're, that. They're folding, you know, yeah. fracking I mean, into that and it's we've like got, we've fracking got, is a disaster. Yeah, but you've got you've got microplastics in the ocean, you've got no, it's I, a mean, mess. I mean we don't, we're, we're, we don't need to go down. No, no, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Because Everyone knows. It's it's so big that it's paralyzing. Yeah. Right? That's right. And and and, and so we have created a situation for ourselves that where yeah to change now to make a drastic change now it's going to it's that like being brought to your knees experience. Well, we're going to be you brought know? to our knees, Absolutely. and it's a spe- it's basically an evolutionary crisis. Yes, that's basically where we are. I, I'm just you know like there's the um, Hindu concept of time. We had talked right. about this, and you know where Brahma uh, uh, opens his eyes and and. Uh, you know, and that's the big bang, right? Right. And New I'm, world. Uh, yeah, right. I'm really hoping he closes them soon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it is scary when you think about how dark things can get. Yeah. taking you down that rabbit hole, I think uh, we could take a moment here and practice thought neutralization. Mm. Yes. When you follow the thoughts to their logical conclusion and you reach that assembly of silence moment, rather than get stuck with any particular thought, is it really over? Well, no. Brahma's eyes will open again after they close. Mm And it's always temporal. We're all just right. embodied for a short period of time anyway. Right. Is, so, is there any real good or bad in any of it? I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, a matter of what we take as being good and bad. Yep. And like you were saying before, some of the worst things that's happened in your life were the seed for an understanding that you would never have had anyway. Right. And so perhaps that's what's happening on kind of a cosmic level, or at least planetary. Yeah, you know, we're we're going to learn a lesson, yeah. and God willing, we'll really learn it. Yeah, you know, and maybe there is a potential for something that we can't even envision right now. That's right. So that's right. that also is outside of our knowing, and there's no reason to think that it would only be right. negative. Right, and that's what we can hope for. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, throw us a bone by subscribing to this channel, visiting our social media pages, and hitting the various like, love, and clap buttons. We welcome all comments, criticisms, and random thoughts. Our email is silentassembly at protonmail.com. And if you want to be an angel, we have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash silentassembly. We look forward to serving you again soon. In the meantime, remember, turn that thing over a few times before you pick it up and take it home.